Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. I just love our interns and hearing from them every week. They may be young, but they're fresh and they're full of energy, aren't they? So that's, uh, that's great. Well, today we're starting a new two-part series called Faith Like. Faith Like What? And you know, sometimes in life there are things that are uncommon to us, things that are tricky to understand, and so we use analogies to describe what something is like. And uh, I'm sure you've encountered these. There are famous ones and there are ones that I'm sure that you use all the time to help make sense of your world and the complex things that you don't understand. So maybe you've heard of this one before. Laugh is like a box of chocolates. (laughs) You never know what you're going to get. Who knows where that's from? Forrest Gump. All right. What about this one? Be water, my friend. You put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put water into a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now, water can flow or water can crash. Be like water, my friend. Who knows who said that? Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. Yes, I'm Bruce Lee fans in the house. So we use these things to try and help make sense of these confusing worlds and confusing concepts um, if they work, if the analogies work. But sometimes they don't always work. I went on the internet and found uh, some students that were trying to use analogies in their essay writing and uh, Just see if these analogies about what things are like uh, make things more clear or less clear. Let's, Let's see. So the plan was simple. Like my brother in law, Phil. But unlike Phil, this plan just might work. John and Mary had never met. They were like two hummingbirds who also had never met. The little boat drifted gently across the pond, exactly like the way a bowling ball wouldn't. (laughs) Her face was a perfect oval, like a circle that had its two sides gently compressed by a thigh master. (laughs) She grew on him like she was a colony of E. coli and he was room-temperature Canadian beef. (laughs) She had a deep, throaty, genuine laugh, like the sound a dog makes just before it vomits. Her hair glistened in the rain, like nose hair after a sneeze. He felt confused, like a homeless man on house arrest. (laughs) When she tried to sing, it sounded like a walrus birth to farm equipment. She was bad. Her vocabulary was bad, like whatever. So I don't know if those things helped clarify or just left you feeling more confused. Analogies can be good if they are good and if they work. And then when it comes to our Christian life, there are a lot of deep concepts, a lot of confusing things. I mean, even God himself can be confusing. He made us to be like him And yet, there's still many aspects of him where it's confusing, where we are unlike him, 
where he is other than us. So there's this idea that we will never fully know or fully understand who he is or what he is really like this side of heaven. But because he wants to be known by us, he uses analogies to, de- to describe himself, to help us know what he is like. And I think if Peter, if we can have that uh, slide up, these are just some that I found uh, in, the, in the Bible, some analogies of uh, what God is like. God is like a father. He's like an artist and we are his masterpiece. He's like a potter and we are like the clay. God is like a, a shepherd, loving and caring for us. God is like a shield, like a rock, like a fortress. I think there's some more. Uh, like an oasis in the desert. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is like a judge. Jesus is like light. He's like the vine, the bread, a gate, a path. All of these different analogies help us to know some aspect about who God is. One particular attribute that God has. It helps make sense of his role in our lives, that he wants to be our shield, our fortress. But what about our role in his plan? Well, if we are to be like him, then we can think, well, then we have to have all of those attributes. If we're to be Christ-like, if this Christian life is all about being more like Christ, and we can feel under pressure to have all of those things and be all of those things. And then on top of all of that, we are also told to have this thing called faith. But what is faith like? How important is faith? What does it do? What does it accomplish? Well, in Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith is obviously vitally important. If that's true, then the opposite is also true, that with faith, it's possible to please God. That pleasing God, the God of the universe, this creative, holy, righteous God, is able to be pleased with you through faith. It's essential for us, whether we know it or not, whether we call ourselves Christians or not, it's essential for us, faith is essential for living out our purpose. Because Our purpose, again, whether we know it or not, is about pleasing and worshipping God. So, how do we get this thing called faith? How do we grow it? How do we use it? Again, in Hebrews 11, in verse 1, it says, Faith is being sure about what we hope for, being convinced about things that we do not see. Do you see? Well, how can we see if it's things that we don't see? How can we see what faith is like if it's all about things that we can't yet see, apparently? Even in 2 Corinthians 5.7, it says, we walk by faith and not by sight. So walking is this thing that we have to do. It's an, it's an action. It's an action that ordinarily requires sight, requires vision, but it's kind of saying, I want you to do something that needs vision for without the vision to do it. Faith is confusing. Romans 10.17 says, So faith 
comes from hearing the message. And the message that is heard is what Christ spoke. So now it's not only about seeing things that we can't see, but it's about hearing from a person who was silenced over 2,000 years ago. So is it possible for us to have faith? Sometimes we can read these things and we can pretend like that we know what they mean, but when things get confusing, we go to analogies and the analogies that we might use for faith might end up kind of being a bit like the analogies that I read out from those high school students. Maybe they actually make us more confused. So I was going through a list of some of the analogies that I've used in the past for faith that maybe aren't so good. These aren't necessarily what faith is supposed to be like. So let's see if you've ever had any of these analogies yourself when it comes to faith. So at times I thought that faith is like a glass half full. So I don't know about you, but sometimes when we think about faith, we think if we just think about good things all the time, that's having faith. If we can just be optimistic, all those who are optimistic in the room, you have way more faith than all of those that are pessimistic in the room. Is that right? Not necessarily. I mean, Belinda and I have now been married for over 20 years. And every month for the past 16 or so years, I've had the faith to believe that Belinda is pregnant. But is that faith or is that just being optimistically wrong? I mean, if I had the faith to believe that she wasn't pregnant every week, I would have been right. But is being right, does that actually require faith? Does the truth require faith? I mean, it didn't require any effort to be wrong. And it didn't require any effort to be right. We just believe. We believe that good things are going to happen. That's faith, right? But Jesus, again, himself said in John 16.33, you will have suffering in this world. So our faith doesn't make the glass half full. Because this side of eternity, for some in this room, for some watching online, the glass never reaches the halfway mark. Plus, isn't the time that we need faith the most when we are empty? So, even if I've thought that at times, even if I've used that analogy, that analogy can't really be right. So maybe then faith is like a happy delusion. They say that ignorance is bliss... And does that mean that the more that we can just ignore all the pain and suffering in the world, the happier we will be? Some of you may be wondering why there's a picture of a mushroom up there. That is a magic mushroom. You take it and you have these happy delusions. You just think that everything is going great and going wonderful. Is that what kind of faith is like just ignoring all the bad, living in this make-believe world, escapism, see, just ignore all the bad that goes on and only see the good. It's kind of like 
putting makeup on skin cancer. So you can't see that it looks bad anymore. But slowly and painfully waiting to die does not sound like what a loving God would want for us. So that can't be faith either. Plus, God did promise us an abundant life. So this analogy of faith doesn't really work either. What about this next one? Faith is like, look, mum, no hands. Did you ever have faith in your own ability to be able to ride a bike so well that you took your hands off the handlebars and you could cry out, look, mum, no hands. I don't know if you ever did that. I did that many, many times. Sometimes with good results, sometimes not. But do we do the same thing to God sometimes and call it faith? Do we kind of go, look, mum, no hands. No vaccine for me, no mask for me. I have faith that God is going to keep me well. Yeah, I kind of know that that person isn't necessarily who everyone who I trust is saying, you know, it should be good in my life, but I'm going to have faith that he's the right one for me. I'm going to discard all of the financial advice from the world because what would they know? I'm just going to listen to Tamsin instead for my financial <laughs> advice. Look, mum, no hands. And we do stuff like that and we repackage it and we call it faith. We just want something to appease our conscience to allow us to keep riding, to keep going with our hands off the handlebars. You know, we sing a song here sometimes and just about every time we sing it, we get complaints. It talks about the reckless love of God. And people don't like it because they think that the word reckless, or the word reckless to them at least, means unintentional, without purpose. And they think God's love can't be reckless because it needs to be intentional. It needs to be purposeful. And so too it is with our faith. Faith needs to be intentional. It is purposeful. So this analogy of look mum, no hands probably doesn't work. Faith is like betting everything on a long shot and winning. Because surely if you bet everything... God is happy. Surely if, you know, even though it's totally improbable, if we just... Because if you pick the most likely thing and then you win, people will just say, well, that didn't take any faith. That was just the most likely outcome. So we have to pick the most outrageous, the, 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 most, the, the longer shot, the thing that the odds are all against. If we pick the thing that the odds are, are all against and we put everything onto that, then that is called faith. So again, I'll date that guy that everybody has written off. I'll ignore all the financial advice. I'll, I'll do what God I believe is telling me to do. So then faith simply becomes a lack of wisdom that every now and again pays off. 
Or what happens when it doesn't pay off? Where does our faith go then? The analogy breaks down. Maybe faith is like holding a ticket in the doctor's waiting room. We know that we need it for now. As long as there is a promise of something else to come, as long as there's this idea that in the future we're just we're here and we're kind of waiting, but as long as there's this other room, I've got this appointment booked, and as long as here is not where I'm staying, but there, there is a place that is, that is coming that's going to fix me. I need faith for the here and now to get through today because here is not where I belong. This world is not where I belong, and so I need faith to make it through. Because there's all these things that I don't see. There's all this stuff going wrong with me that I don't know the answer to. And so I'm sitting in this doctor's waiting room, but I've got my ticket. The ticket is faith. And if I just have enough faith, even though I can't see, you know, we read that scripture before. Faith is, you know, believing in things that we can't see. I can't see what's wrong with me. I don't know, but I've got faith that I'm going to make it to a place that's going to fix me. First Corinthians 13:12 says, "Now we see a reflection in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely, and in the same way that I have been completely known. So isn't that what faith is? It's the gap between the partial and the full. Faith is sort of that bit between now and then. Because now I don't know everything, but then, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful passage, isn't it? It tell, tells us that in the future, there's coming a day where, you know, we'll be in heaven, that we'll still know each other, that because we'll, we'll know as we have been known, and God knows us so well. He knows us intimately. You won't forget that person's name that you saw last week at church, but you can't remember this week. You won't Forget the answer to that maths problem or you're sitting there in that test. That we will know as we've been known, see everything now, then this is now. And so because I don't know everything now and I can't see everything now, and I'm sitting in this, this doctor's waiting room, faith is the gap between what I now know and what I will know then. But once I get to then... We won't need faith anymore because we'll know everything. We'll have the knowledge and faith just makes up for my lack of knowledge. It gets me into the place where I get fixed. But if that's true and that analogy holds, then why in the next verse, in verse 13, does it say, so these three things continue forever. Faith, hope, and love. So faith is one of the only eternal things that there is. Faith is not just this little gap filler that gets us through. It's not just this ticket that we are holding onto that gets us to the place where we finally get fixed and then it's no longer needed anymore. We toss it out because our number's been called up. No, faith is vitally important. It's eternal. And so if we're kind of honest, even though we kind of recognize that it's important, that it's vital to our Christian walk, 
that it's eternal, maybe if we're honest, we don't really know what it's like. If we've followed one of those analogies ourselves. So, what does the Bible have to say? What does the Bible say that faith is like? If all of those analogies that I've had, that maybe you've had at times, aren't accurate analogies, what is an accurate analogy? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 17, 20, he says, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And don't we love that verse? Because we want that mountain moving faith. And that's kind of what we focus on when we read that verse, isn't it? We focus on what faith does rather than what faith is. We just focus on, yes, the mountain, that's what we want. We want what faith does. And faith does move mountains. But sometimes we haven't stopped to look at what faith is. And to be honest, it kind of seems like a bit of a letdown, doesn't it? I mean, when God's talking about himself, we read all of those different things, what God says he is like. He is like a a sword. He is like a shield. He is like an all-consuming fire. That's what we kind of want to be like. Because like, you know, a sword can defeat our enemies and a shield can you know, it caused defense to happen when we feel defenseless and an all-consuming fire can consume stuff. But then, for our faith, it says that faith is like a seed. It seems a bit anticlimactic, doesn't it? Like, why would we want faith to be like a A seed. But if we take the time to look at why faith is like a seed, I think we'll see the importance and the power of faith. You see, because I think that sometimes we get so consumed with having things happen now. We want the mountain to move now. There's this mountain in my way. There's this mountain in my life. I'm feeling oppressed. I'm feeling all this stuff. And I need the mountain to move now. And a sword, well, that has an immediate impact. That's what I want my faith to be like. But imagine if you went up to the mountain. Imagine if you went up to the, to the rock. And you started hitting, you know, the concrete under your feet with a sword. The tough things in life, the hard things in life, they're just going to blunt that sword. But I don't know if you've ever seen this. Peter, if you can put up that next thing. A seed, even a small, seemingly insignificant, weak little seed, can actually, given enough time, cause mountains to move can break through concrete, asphalt, rock. And this is what God is saying our faith is like. We also need to realize that when Matthew wrote 
the words of Jesus down, saying that faith is like a mustard seed. He never expected us to read it out of context. You see, he didn't put chapter and verse in there and say, just read, just flip to the middle and just read that little thing. You see, Matthew 17, for those taking notes, comes after Matthew 13. Shocking, I know. But here is what it says in Matthew 13 that we were supposed to read first to help give us context. Jesus is telling them a parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all of the garden plants, so that the birds of the air can come and make a nest in its branches. And I don't know, definitely the people on the live stream probably can't see this, and maybe only the people in the front row can kind of see this, but these are mustard seeds. They are very, very tiny. But God is saying, it's not about the size that it starts off. Preachers, other Christians, yourself, we all go through this process where we try to make our faith bigger. We want our faith to be bigger. We want our faith to be stronger. But in this passage, Jesus is saying it's not the size or the strength of our faith, but it's the object of our faith that ultimately saves us. You see, inside these seeds, inside this one mustard seed, is contained something very important. It's the DNA strand of a huge tree. A huge tree that can grow because of the DNA that is contained within this tiny seed. That the DNA will determine because DNA reproduces after its own kind. And so too, faith reproduces after its own kind. It can start small. So yes, if you want to be healed, if you want that job, if you want that partner, if you want to see your friends and family saved, if you want to see our community transformed, if you want... Mount Barker to get a building and land that they can own. If we want to finances to put a canopy over the car park here, all of that is going to require faith. But it doesn't require bigger, stronger, better faith than what you have now. It simply requires faith in the right thing. You see, again, one final analogy of a way that I used to view faith. It was back in the 90s, I used to be a gamer, and I used to play this video game called Wipeout. Some people actually know Wipeout. So Wipeout was this sort of hover game where there was these sort of hover cars, these hover vehicles, and you would sort of half fly, half drive around this track. But there were these sort of power-up stations. And as you would bring your car, your sort of flying vehicle, over these, and as you would drive over and hover over these power-up stations, it would power up your turbo boosters. That then if you got your turbo booster up to full capacity, you could hit the button and all of a sudden you would 
be able to have this boost of, of speed, this boost of, of energy, and it would, would propel you into the lead. And again, that if I hover around church enough, that if I kind of hover around preachers that preach faith, that are you know, good, strong faith preachers, that all of a sudden it's going to power up my turbo boosters until I get to the point where all of a sudden I can hit that button of faith and it was going to propel me into the destiny and the future that I want. Which kind of works for, again, the optimists in the room. But what about the people that I know there are some of you in this room that are kind of thinking, Josh, you remember a couple of weeks ago when you had those different coloured signs? There was the blue and the white and the black. And you were talking about catch cries and mottos and the different things that play over in our head when we see something, when we hear something. It's like, if, if I'm really honest, the loudest voice in my life right now is not God. The loudest voice in my life is that kind of black one, that, that, that negative one. I don't have any turbo boost to my faith. I don't, I don't even know if I've got enough faith to be saved. I mean, if my life was a field, all that I see when I look out is weeds and thorns. But what God is saying, Matt, can I give you this seed? Don't drop it yet, hold it. And look, in the immediate, right now, if you all are weeds, <laughs> when you look out, you kind of go, yeah, things don't look so good. I'm not, I'm not hearing the voice of God. I'm not, I'm not seeing any evidence of, of faith in my life. When I look out right now, all I see, all I hear is negative, is bad is wrong. So am I even saved? I don't have enough faith to be saved. But God is saying, in the field, you might not be able to see it. But if that single strand of DNA is there, give it enough time and it will germinate and it will grow because it grows after its kind and it will produce fruit so we have faith in money it will come to an end one day there will come a day where we have none if we put faith in power and position it'll be taken away have faith in relationships people leave have faith in a plan in an organization times change have faith in me, I'll let you down. But have faith in God. Have even one skerrick, one cell with that DNA of faith in it. And God is saying that will change everything. Faith is like a mustard seed. So I'm not here to tell you you need to have faith like a giant. I'm here to echo the words of Jesus that says, have faith like a mustard seed. You see, the beautiful thing about this analogy is that within your DNA, at the moment of conception, everything about how you look, your eye colour, was, was there in that DNA strand whether your earlobes would be detached or, or attached, the shape of your hands and your feet, everything was coded in that DNA at the moment of conception. 
And in that seed of faith contains the DNA to move mountains, to grow in accordance with faith. So what does the DNA seed of faith make us look like then? If we can have that picture up. Thanks, Peter. Here we go. Compare the pair. The DNA in the seed of faith. So with our eyes, our eye colour, the way that I see myself when I'm faithless, I see myself as a sinner who does some good, but the DNA that is planted of faith says that I see myself as a saint who occasionally sins. The way that I see others is that they are threats to be avoided. But God says they are God's image bearers to be loved. It changes the way we see. Changes the way that we hear. Because without faith we are bombarded by our failures. But here is what faith does. See this word over here. It says Shema, which equals obedience, because in the Hebrew language, there is not two different words, one meaning hear and one meaning obedience. They are the same thing, because when faith comes in, we don't just hear and ignore. We don't just hear and discard. We're not just allowing those sounds to be bombarded and brought out, that the DNA of faith changes our ears so that Upon hearing, we obey. There is no gap. There is no difference between hearing and obeying. It changes the way that we hear. The next one, stress. What was I talking about there? Stress and peace. That was the nose. So they actually use uh, the essential oil from uh, the, the mustard tree has actually been shown to reduce stress levels. So when God is saying that this is what is going to grow up in your life, what he wants to grow up in your life, what faith wants to give you is peace. It changes the way that you smell. The next one, the taste of bitterness or fresh breath. It changes our taste buds because again, the the mustard tree was actually used by the ancient Hebrews uh, as a toothbrush because it actually has properties within it that is antibacterial that actually cleanses any bacteria, anything that is growing in the mouth that should not be there. So the mustard seed of faith changes what is going to come out of our mouth. It purifies it, it makes it holy, it takes away any of the bad. That it changes our heart from one being sick to one that is full of health. And again, mustard has been shown to have positive health effects on the heart. And of course, it changes our hands from needing to grab hold of things for fear of losing them and in turn actually grabbing hold of sin to having open hands to serve. So faith is essential. Faith is eternal. Faith always starts small, but will change everything. But very importantly, faith is available today. Because again, the mustard seed unlike many seeds, can actually germinate almost instantaneously. The moment that it is placed in the ground, it can shed that outer layer and start to grow that tree that it was always designed to be. So what is faith like? Faith is like a mustard seed that grows and that grows and that grows. Can I share something with you that's not in my notes? We're a little bit ahead of time. 
I always want to give you your value for money. Can't finish ahead of time. So this may not come out exactly right, but and sometimes I don't want to confuse you because, you know, there's already been a lot to, to take in and this is more scripture and we don't have it up on the screen. But in that passage that we read that the kingdom of heaven is like this mustard seed that grows into this big tree where the birds come and nest in there. Again, that's supposed to link back to two other passages in Daniel 4 and in Ezekiel 31. And in Daniel 4 and Ezekiel 31, it talks about this tree, this, this tree that is growing up to the heavens. This tree where the birds come and nest. This is the sort of the hyperlink back to, this, to these passages. But in these passages, one is talking about the Babylonian Empire. One is talking about the Egyptian Empire. And again, it talks about the downfall of these empires. That in their time, they should have had faith. They were the biggest, most powerful, most conquering nations at, at the time. That they should have had faith in their own ability to be able to do whatever they wanted to do. This was the picture of the tree. But in both pictures the tree comes crashing down. And it's like God is saying prophetically to us, put your faith in anything else, no matter how strong, no matter how powerful, and it will come crashing down. But it's like God is saying, the worldly reach to the heavens... For a tree that is so strong, that is so powerful, that is exactly like a mustard seed that grows into this tree that is actually going to be able to, to withstand all the attacks, all the pressures, all the different things that are going to come against it. And so while the Egyptian empire failed and the Babylonian empire failed and all these other things failed, where they failed, Jesus succeeded. Jesus is the tree that we have been waiting for. He is the connector between us and heaven. Because you see, in order for a seed to be activated, it has to die. It has to die to itself. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He was the Son of God. He was all-powerful. And yet there was a moment where He became a single cell containing the DNA of faith. And when he grew up and he was crucified and he allowed his body to be planted in the ground, it activated faith. It, it started to grow this tree, this tree of life that could have never grown. Nothing else could compare. The Egyptian tree, the Babylonian tree, the Hebrew tree, the Roman tree, nothing could sustain, nothing could stand the attacks, the different things of this world. But Jesus could. He planted a seed in a garden. And it grew. And he wants it to grow in your life. But in just the same way as he died to self to activate that life and life eternal, so we too need to die to ourself. You see, faith is not getting everything you ever dreamed of. Faith is realizing that an abundant, faith-filled, eternal life was what 
Jesus dreamed of for you. So can we stand? And we're going to pray in faith. Faith as a mustard seed. That God is here. His eternal life is here. It is available to you right now. The second that you plant that seed, it can start to germinate. It can start to produce life and life eternal within you. So yes, Father, we just want to thank you for faith. We want to thank you for the object of our faith, that we don't need bigger faith, stronger faith, better faith. We don't need preachers to stand up here and try to get us to believe more, believe better, be better. We simply need you, Jesus. Thank you that you didn't leave us alone in the dark. You sent your son to come and allow his body to be broken, planted for us. To activate faith in us that we could know beyond a shadow of a doubt there is a God in heaven who loves us, who would cross every divide, who would bridge that barrier between earth and heaven. That would start a tree growing with its branches up to the heavens. A tree that is sustaining to all life, that is sustaining to us. Father, help us this morning to have this kind of faith. Faith in this kind of God. In the true and living and eternal God. Because His DNA has been placed within us this morning. Let's worship this God together. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.